I want to begin with a question, and I'm not sure if any of you could really figure this out. This is a pretty tough question. Um, Here it is. Uh, Can you somehow connect this to something that you may have seen, um, maybe on film or whatever, kind of brings back remembrance? A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Anybody have any word association with that? It's, uh, it's all about what? Star Wars. So some of you have seen that film, right? Well, Star Wars is, if you remember back in ancient times when it really, when it started, and it was almost like in black and white in the 80s or whenever it began, you know, it, it was an interesting series because it, it didn't begin in the, the beginning. It was like, the, was it the seventh episode, seven, eight, nine, or whatever it might be in terms of how it all began, and then we wondered, were they ever going to give us what started this all off? As you think about it, as, as you think about films that, that have a, an initial blast into the, the airfield where people go and observe it and experience it, uh, sometimes if it does well, it will have a what? A sequel. And if you want to go before the initial story, they'll call it a prequel, right? And really what a sequel is or a prequel is, it's all about taking a story, a theme, and developing it further or giving you the background for it. And really, this morning, what we're going to try to do is, is look at a sequel, because as you look at this book that has been made in some films, I always encourage you to read the book. The books are much better than the films. Uh, but as you think about this book, and if you're not fully aware of this, the word Bible really just simply means book. Sometimes we put an adjective to this book, and we call it the holy book or the holy Bible. And holy doesn't mean that somehow, you know, if you touch it, you know, you get this mystical experience. But really, it's a, it, it's a book, the word holy primarily means set-apart book. Th- this is a book like no other book. And, and particularly when we think about God wanting us to be holy, he wants a, us to be set apart and to live, like, not, live not like everybody else lives. Not that we think we're better than anybody else, but because God's word, God's book has marked us and instructed us how we should live. And if we want to put it as simply as possible, God wants us to live like, and this is the answer to any really question in the church, he wants us to live like Jesus, all right? And so as you think about this book, it's a holy calling because he wants us to live a separate life, to live like Jesus. Now, what we've done in the first two Sundays of 2020 is we've tried to, I guess you could say, give a prequel or a backdrop into what we're doing. And really what I try to do, since we're not, we're, we're not going to talk in 2020 where I go through every single book in the Bible, I don't think we're going to try that as a series, uh, so I thought I'll give you the, the entire Bible in one shot. In some ways, you could say, well, what is this story all about? And what I try to do that first week is to give you 10 statements, and you can try to look at it from 10 key chapters in the Bible, and th- this is the Bible's big story, and it can be summarized into some pithy statements. Uh, it it begins, with, begins with God, doesn't it? God creates. And then, then we fall into man, and then we find out that we mess it up. Man falls. And then we recognize that what, what kind of God is there. There's a God who is gracious. And, and then we find out from there that, that God wants us to understand that, that he, he wants us to believe. So man believes. And we have the example of Abraham putting his confidence in God in the midst of of not knowing what God is all about and what he has planned for him. God, he encounters God and he believes. He says that Abraham believed and it was accounting him as righteousness. So God made him like God, like Jesus, because 
He got right with Jesus. He got right with God. And then we recognize, well, how does this happen? The only way this happens is because God provides. And we look at the story of, of God providing a sacrifice for, for Abraham. He was about to offer up Isaac. And then you wonder, well, why does God have to do that? Because God is holy. God is just. And apart from God dealing with our sin, then, that we would never be brought into relationship with him. God is just. God is holy. And then we recognize, well, how's this going to happen? And we get a glimpse in the Old Testament about God's plan. In Isaiah 53, he, he talks about the one who is to come. And, and our condition, all of us are like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way, but the Lord is going to provide someone to come on our behalf. And, and then we get through the first two-thirds of this big book, the Old Testament, and then we get into the New Testament. And then if you were to take, summarize the, the New Testament, you could put it this way. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus being our sacrifice or our substitute. It's all about Jesus raising from the dead, Jesus' resurrection. And then God's plan for us is all about Jesus' kingdom. And so as you think about what the whole book is about, it's about God, it's about us, and then it's about Jesus. And he's inviting us into a relationship with him and to be under his rule and under his plan. So that's the what of the Bible. Then last week, what I tried to do is I tried to say, well, what's the, what's the why of the Bible? If the what is some of those highlights, what's, what's the why? Well, what the why of the Bible is God wanting and inviting us into relationship with him. Well, how does that happen? How can you summarize that? Well, you could put it this way, that, that God wanted us to be like him. And so as we look at us, we all look differently, and we come from different backgrounds. We've had all kinds of different experiences, and some, some have experienced a lot of trauma in life. Some have experienced a lot of joy. Some wonder, how, how come everything's so good for me and not, and not so good for other people? But as you think about God's plan, it's not much, so much about how, how you know, your life is compared to somebody else, but what, what's, the, what's the purpose for your life? And, and so here, here's the why. God created you and me to be like him. That's why he created us in his image, in his likeness. And really the reason he did this is because he loves us. And so God wants us to understand we're loved by him. And, and, and that's, that's, that's what's fundamentally important. As you think about a relationship with God, it's not so much how much we can conjure up in our emotions. It's for us to recognize it's about God. God making us like him and God loving us. But then in turn, there is a response, and he then wants us to love him. He wants us to understand that he, he's calling us to live with him and to live for him. He wants us to understand because we have fallen, we're going to have to learn from him. And he wants us to understand that we're going to have to lean on him. If we trust in ourselves, we're going to fall short. And the reason, because we're lost without him. So that in about two minutes is my summary of two Sundays of sermons, all right? So we've looked at the big story and we're in that story, but the big story is, is the, the what of God, and that's, that's the book. That's the ten statements, or one way to look at a summary of this book. And then if we we'll look at the why of this book, is God has invited us in a relationship because he wants us to be like him. He wants us to understand how much we're loved by him. He wants us to love him. He wants us to learn from him, lean upon him, because we're lost without him. Well, we're going to look now, as we look into the sequel, some of the other episodes in this long saga, you know, from a long, long time ago in a galaxy that is just ours. How, how did God pull this off? Well, Genesis gives us the beginning, but episode two in this, the saga is the book of Exodus. And, and that's, that's where we are today in, 
Hopefully this will give us some insight into what we're going to be seeing in this series we're going through here. Um, but before I do so, you, you, you want to hear a couple dumb jokes? You know, I was, I was going to introduce the whole history of sequels and all those things that come, and, and, uh, and we could debate, you know, which, uh, which sequel we like the, the best. And there are websites where they'll, they'll, they'll debate which of the sequels of the, that have multiple stories, like, uh, you know, which one of the uh, uh, Godfather films are the better ones. What about the, the old westerns, uh, you know, with Clint Eastwood, is the good, the bad, and the... And the ugly, you know, you know, which ones you particularly like, and again, the Star Wars series, which one of those episodes, and now they have about 50 episodes, I don't know if it wins to call an episode or just a backstory, uh, but the most important story to figure out is, is which of the toy stories are the better ones, right? <laughs> I mean, that's really going to make a difference in your life if you could figure out which story that is, and they've got, they've got great debates about that, and I thought I would, I would read what some have said that that um, really touched my heart. You know, I'm a really emotional... Per- well, sometimes I'm up here, I'm pretty emotional, but here, has any movie, The Toy Story, and, and they're going to... I'm going to give you a spoiler right now. They picked Toy Story 3, all right? Has any movie leveraged the emotional attachment of its audience to the franchise more effectively than Toy Story 3? Toy Story and Toy Story 2 were great, thoughtful movies about growing up, but but they didn't reduce their fans to puddles of tears. Fifteen years ago, after the original film debuted, Andy is headed to college. Remember Andy? How many never saw the Toy Story? Okay, you can just relax and go to sleep, right? Uh, just like all the boys and girls in the audience who grew up with Woody and Buzz, the movie grapples with aging and loss, and albeit this is another alert, to convince its audience, if only for a second, that a Disney kids franchise might actually kill off beloved characters, even though they're toys. Talk about a guilt trip for any kind who abandoned their own toys, now he's talking about us, in an attic before heading off to school. Kind of wants you to cry right now, doesn't it? All right. So as you think about you know, sequels, stories, there's all kinds of things, and people debate, debate which sequel it is. And sometimes you'll be in audiences like this or small groups, and we'll sometimes have introductory questions like, what's your favorite book in the Bible? And if you don't have one, you just open your Bible and pick one. But, you know, if you, if you don't know one, you know, and people will throw out all kinds of them. And I, I found, and there, I do have some favorite ones, but I find often that my favorite book of the Bible is the one I'm trying to study now. Because I learn things, see things that I never saw before, and they point into my life and some areas and attitudes I need to change. And Exodus is a, is a book that's familiar in terms of some of its big events, like the parting of the Red Sea and, and some things like that. But as we think about it, God wants to speak into our lives. He, he wants to really make a difference. Um, I did read about this one sequel. I'm wasting time, but here, I, I got to show this one. I, I read that Disney is making a sequel to Bambi. Have you heard that? He gets revenge on the hunters that killed his mother. They're calling it Bambo. Okay, so. All right, that's my last attempt. All right, so here we go. Here, and we're going to start with the book of uh, Exodus right now, and, and we're going to see what God has for us. And as uh, some of you are familiar with me, sometimes I, when I preach, I give you not just, you know, you, the standard points you're supposed to give is like three points and maybe a poem, and I don't give you usually a poem, but the, usually I give, like, I've given you 10 points the last couple of weeks, and then I gave you, I don't know, eight or nine last week. Really, I have two points today, but I do have a few subpoints. all right? As you look at the book of Exodus, you want to ask the question, well, how is God playing out his story, and we're in that story, and what do I need to understand to focus upon? 
Well, I want to put it this way. As you think about it, you could put it this way. Uh, this book is about people, and it's about God. Now, we've tried to emphasize that theme recently, but you need to understand when you, when you go to this book, I don't, I don't care which episode you're going to read, whether it's book Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, on through the Old Testament, or going on through the New Testament. Really, the, the message of this big book, it's, it's all about God, and it's all about people. And, and really, as we think about that, we're, we're going to see this. But I also want to say, before we look into the text in just a couple minutes, is that this is rooted in reality. This is not some Disney film that was made up. This is not something that we're supposed to somehow capture our fancy because we're looking at unseen worlds and unseen galaxies. This is rooted in truth and it's rooted in history. Now, as, as scholars look at this, and I'm not going to run you through all the different ways people have tried to figure out when this happened, and if you've ever been to Egypt and taken a tour with them, you'll have tour guides uh, try to direct you where they think the, the Old Testament fits in with here. But I, I want to I share with this uh, that, that as I've grappled with it, 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 it really is a scene in which you have Genesis, which is the... The, the initial story, and, the, and Exodus is the sequel. It, 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 it's really focused on Joseph being brought into this land, which is going to rescue not only the, the people in that land, but God's people that are now in the promised land. And, and in many ways, what you could say, he came in about 1876, 1875, as far as uh, B.C. And, and what you have then through that is you have... Um, a number of centuries going past. In fact, it was prophesied that they would be there for 430 years. And in 1446 or 1445, depending on which year you want to look at, 430 years afterwards, God lets his people go. And we could look at the, the variety of pharaohs, and I think I've figured out which ones I think fit in with this whole particular story. But, but I want you to let you know that this actually happened. All the things that we read about aren't just invented by religious people. And, and there, are, there are ways to somehow uh, uh, confirm that this is, this is reality and not just some ridiculous event created by people who want to have some kind of wishful thinking there's a, there's a plan in this life. Because God, God created us for a purpose. God created because he loved us, wanted to be, us to be like him, and he wants us to live with him. Not just for a short period of time here, but forever. And it's a story about God rescuing his people. But he rescues us, not only for our, from our temporary challenges, but for that which would prevent us from spending eternity with him. Well, let's, let's look at it this morning. This book is about people. Now, why would I say that? So find the book of Exodus if you have a Bible. If not, try to find one in the pew, or not the pew, the chair that you're sitting on or the one around you. And we're, we're going to look at this, and, and we're going to begin with the very first line. And interesting, you didn't know this. When the, when the book was written, the book, with the 66 episodes, counting the 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, initially, they weren't named like we have them named now. That came in later. They weren't divided by chapters. They weren't divided by verses. Uh, they were just written documents. And basically, you have a couple traditions. Some, the traditions, the title of the book was the first few words in the text. That's how they titled the book. And then some were imposed on it later. And so 
later on, the, the title that we are so familiar with, which is Exodus, and ex is uh, for out, this is a Greek word, otis, which is way, and so you put those two together, you get the way out, but really, the, the beginning of this is the first three or four words, now these are the names, and, and from that is, I get the idea very simply, is what he's talking about here, uh, this is a book that begins with people. And, and, and that's so emphasized throughout every episode. God is concerned about people. And he, he leaves, leaves the story of the beginning. He then begins with a list of people. And these are the names, or now these are the names. It's one little Hebrew letter, they, that begins the word that starts this whole story. And what I want to do is, is I want to talk about people this morning and, and what he begins with in this first chapter that speaks into our lives about what do we as people do as it relates to how we respond to life. And, and that's in many ways how we can really measure uh, how we're doing by what we're doing is how do we respond to things that happen in our life. Isn't that true? You know, if you're answering, you know, you know, every day can be a good day, but not every day is an easy day. Would you agree? And the reality is, if it's a good day, it's dependent upon not so much about what circumstances happen in your life, but how do you respond to those circumstances? How do you respond to the things that happen to you or the people you really care about? And this is what we're going to see here. And what we want to do, and this is a spoiler, is that if we really want to to experience life how God wants us to experience in the midst of a, a world that's gone wrong is that we want to respond to life not forgetting what God is doing and will do. And, and we see this in this first chapter in the book of Exodus. It's about people and it's about God. And so let's look at this. And I want to show you one other little trivia here. Is that if you think about this book, it's an interesting book in that Exodus... 40 chapters. The first chapter covers a period of about, depending upon how you want to dissect it, anywhere between 350 to almost 400 years. So you're about three or four centuries here. The next chapter, chapter, what chapter would that be? I just want, some of you are still listening. If this is chapter one, next chapter is chapter two. That chapter covers about 80 years. Now, if there are 40 chapters left, that means we, we go from chapter 3 to chapter 40. And you know how much period of time is covered in chapter 3 to 40? Just a little over a year. Isn't that amazing? So we're talking about three or four centuries, chapter 1. We're talking about 80 years in chapter 2. And then we're going to be looking at chapters 3 to 40, a year and a half. And so we're going to get a lot of detail about a period of time um, that goes on forever in terms of understanding how God works with his people. But, but let's look at it together. Let's, let's read through the text. I'm going to try to make some very simple, clear observations, and hopefully uh, this will challenge all of us to say, well, okay, God, what is it about this book you want to tell me and how I ought to respond to life and how not to respond? Sometimes we learn as much about what not to do as, as well as what to do. Now, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. They came each one with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. All the persons who came from the loins of Jacob were 70 in number, but Joseph was already in Egypt. Joseph died and all the brothers in all that generation. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. All right, 
Now, now is, did anybody get really thrilled and excited about the reading of that section? Some of you are still dozing, all right? <laughs> now, now if, if your name had actually been in that list, would, would that have been a little bit more exciting? My name's in the Bible, you know? And, and particularly not just your name, it was actually writing about you, not just someone with the same name as you. It'd be pretty exciting. But, but th- those are simply names. But I want you to understand, when, when he lists names, and there are places, obviously, in the Bible where you're going, why did God put this in here? Or why did he put so many pages with these names in here? Anybody ever thought that? Come on, let's be honest in church. Can you be, raise your hand, all right? Yeah, you go, what in the world? Okay, well, let's just put it this way, okay? It is... People are important to God, right? And so he lists the names. And, and he wants you to realize, we're talking about real people here. You know, I, you know I, I'm, I'm pretty confident that right now when I'm preaching and teaching, I'm not sure if you're listening, but I, I'm confident when I'm preaching and teaching that I'm talking to what kind of people? Real people, right? There were a couple dolls up here that I was wondering if they were listening to me more than the rest of you. But, the, you know, is that, you know what I mean? He's talking about, he's talking about real people here. But are we going to get anything out of it? Well, let's, let's move on. He goes, and Joseph died, and all the brothers and all that generation. But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. Now, I want to make some very simple observations here because of my time talking about Toy Story, all right? When they came into this land, they weren't a mighty nation. They had 70 men, maybe. Now, now three or four centuries have gone by, and they went to a particular place in a land they knew not of, Egypt, and went to a particular place, Goshen, which was one of the prime properties. But in three or four centuries, God was good to them. He was really good to them. We know because of a a passage in Exodus chapter 12 that these 70 men grew to 600, over 600,000 men. And then if you put the, the, the women and children to it, they estimate that this little group of people were now two million strong. And, and not only had he multiplied them in terms of number, but he had prospered them. And we're going to see that they did prosper because there were some people who were envious in power over these people, these immigrants who were now prosperous in their land. Now, I, I wanna, what I want to do is make a very simple implied point as we look at this text. As we think about God speaking to people, because the Bible is about people, the book is about people, what do we as people sometimes do? What we do is what I'm, I'm, I'm implying what was probably happening to them because later on, some of their responses to other things God was doing to them is that we forget how much we've been blessed. Isn't that true? Is it, is it easier for you to, to complain or to be, you know, grateful, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good when everything's going right, but when things are going wrong, man, it's like, God, why'd you allow this to happen? And that's going to come up real soon in this chapter. And, and, and the Bible's clear. If, if we really want to live for him, and, and that was part of that message last week, we have to learn from him, which means, okay, there's some simple, straightforward things that God has told us about living for him. And in Psalm 103, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and, uh, and all that is within you, bless his holy name. But then it says this in verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. And, and this is the theme throughout this section this morning. We have a tendency to forget the things we ought to remember and remember the things we ought to forget. And when he was speaking to a people that he had abundantly blessed, 
Don't forget what I've done for you. Don't forget the blessings that you have. And you, we, we could stop right here and say, I, I, you know, the rest of the week, I, I want all of us to count our blessings and name them one by one and see what the Lord has done. Anything that good has happened in your life, James says, every good thing comes from above, the Father of lights. And these who have been blessed in a foreign land for three or four centuries, I'm sure the roots of forgetting God's benefits and God's blessings was coming strong. But let's move on. It's not like God's people that go down the wrong path. We, we, we look at here, and this is where that forget theme came in. In verse 8, it says this. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. You know, we're going to just, you know, stop there with that verse, but let's just be plain about the significance of that one little verse in this, first cha- in this first chapter. God had blessed Egypt because of this one senior man named Joseph. He had rescued them from destruction. They, they were not prepared for famine. They would not have been prepared. They, they, they would have enjoyed the, the prosperity, but then when it had run dry and not you know, being ready for what's coming next, which was lean, lean, lean years, they would have perished like anybody else. And, and there was one singular person that, that provided for them because of his leadership and his relationship with God, and that was Joseph. And really what, he, what happened here after, after, and you know how, you know what really contributes to us forgetting? It's one little word beginning with the letter T, and it's the word time. Now, over time, we begin to forget things. Have anybody lost some memory up there? I, you know, there's all kinds of things I've forgotten. But, but there are certain things in my life that are a little bit rooted deeper. But even those things that are rooted deeper, if, if I don't return to those things that are so important, they'll become dull in my heart and my life and, and how I live. Isn't that true? And, and you know, you can, you can forget, you know, how much, you know, and I hope if you've never been to the couples retreat, you go to the couples retreat. But why, why do we have the couples retreat? You, you can forget how, how much your spouse really has done for you. And how you need to build in that relationship. How much they've loved you in the past and how much you need to return that love to them now in the present and prepare for whatever God will has for you in the future. You, you, you've got to build into that relationship. But over time, we, we take people and things for granted, don't we? And, and this is what had happened here. The, the, the nation that had been rescued, and there's some backstory as far as why that happened, how that happened, but they had forgotten. These, these people now that we're going to read that they feared they were the only reason they were still existing as a world power. But as we look at this, I want you to look at a passage in Luke. In Luke chapter 24, you know, and you could actually capitalize the word, we forget who really rescued us when we were desperate. And really, is, if this is really the key of understanding the Old Testament. If we don't understand... The, back, the, the, the initial story, and, and, and really is pointing all toward Jesus, we'll, we'll miss it. In Luke chapter 24, verses 25 through 27, it says this. And this is Jesus after the resurrection. He, he came up to a couple people that, that had, it was just, they were just 
they were just in a, in a, a fog over what had just happened about Jesus being on the cross and now the empty tomb. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. In other words, God talked about this. Was it not necessary for the Christ, the Messiah, to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning, to enter, then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Which is really saying this. Look, if somehow you read in the Old Testament and you don't see Jesus there, you're not, you're not seeing clearly. You need to put some cheaters on. Because Jesus is throughout the Old Testament, speaking either in symbolic terms, the one who was to come, or he's arriving on the scene. It's all about the one who was going to come and rescue them, give them and us the way out. And here you have a picture of, of a nation that should have been eternally grateful for this simple tribe known as the Jewish people for what they had done to rescue him because of a senior man named Joseph. So what do we need to know, understand about people and this book being about people? Now, we shouldn't forget how much we've been blessed. We, we, we should not forget who really rescued us when we were desperate. And then thirdly, we need to understand that we so easily can forget we were told at times that life is going to be hard. What happens to them? He said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. You know, who plays the comparison game? Who, who plays, well, you know, somehow life's better for them than for me, and well, how, come that, how come that's happening? Everybody does that, even people in power. And so as they looked at this nation that was in one particular place in their kingdom of Goshen, they said, look at, uh, they're doing better than we are. But we are in power. Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply, and in the event of war, they will also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor, and they built for Pharaoh storage, cities, Pithom, and Ramses. Now, again, we're not showing pictures here. We're not describing this in colorful ways, but... Here they went from a place where they've been blessed for three and a half centuries, four centuries, recorded in this chapter, and now they're in a reign in which the one who's in power is forgetting about them. And now they went from a place of blessing to a place in which they're experiencing the hardships of life. And eventually when that happens, who are we going to blame? Now, we can blame the political power that day, but eventually, God's people want, want to complain to who? They want to play, complain to God. I mean, th- things are going well. But what we need to understand is that, that, that God, even in this particular event, had, had warned that this was going to happen. In Genesis chapter 15, it's, it's interesting, as, as we think about God, and he had told them this. Genesis 15, 13 says this. Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. He's talking about they were in the promised land. They were going to go to Egypt. Where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. Now, I don't know about you. Do you put verses on your refrigerators? Or do you, maybe you begin every day with a you know, promise from God. And you look for, you know, what, what encouraging thing can I get from Jesus today? How would you like to put that one on your refrigerator, your icebox? 
Oh, oh by the way, you're going you're gonna to leave the place you're at right now. You're going to another land, and, 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 and you're going to be there for a while. And you know what's going to happen at the end of that? You're going to be what? Enslaved. I want to I remember that promise every day of my life, right? He told him his life was going to be hard. You know, John 16, 33 says this. Um, Jesus said, I just want to let you know that, that in me you will have peace. That's the first part of it. And that's the only part I like to remember, but then there's another part. Oh, oh by the way, in the world, you're going to have tribulation and troubles. Well, can, can I just leave that part off? Can I just say, I got, I got peace from God all the time. Well, oh, yeah, but you're, you're living in the world. In the world, you're going to have tribulations. You're going to have trouble. In Acts chapter 14, verse 22, it's, it's another passage. He, he's, talk, Paul's, he's talking to the church there, and he's talking to the people. He said, oh, I, I, I want to let you know, all of you, 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 before you get to the kingdom of God, the rule of God, and see all the experience of God's power living here out on earth, you're going to experience hardship. Put that one on your refrigerator. Pick that out as one of the promises you begin each day with. And so as we think about, again, we're talking about God's story here. It's the sequel of what had happened from Genesis as they go into this land and they begin with God's blessings. And we ought to remember God's blessings in the midst of God's trials. And our trials are, are sovereignly given to us from the hand of God. And we need to realize that, that life at times is, is not going to be like you had planned and prepared and prayed for it to be. There's going to be hardships. Well, let's look on. What else, is he, what else do we learn from this chapter? And let's, uh, let's read another major section. Exodus chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. Well, uh, they did this, and it, it, wasn't, it wasn't working like they thought. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread out, so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor in mortar and bricks and in all kinds of labor in the field, all their labors which they had rigorously imposed on them. You think, oh, God, okay, life's hard, but now you have made life harder. God, what in the world are you doing? Okay, I don't, I don't mind being stretched a little bit, but <laughs> don't put me on this rack. And, and so God allowed them to make it worse. But it, hidden within that is, is verse 12. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied, and the more they multiplied, the more they spread out. That's just the color way I say this. The, the, the more they got pushed, the stronger they got. And isn't that, isn't that true? Sometimes, let's be honest, we, we enjoy pleasure, but we learn much more from pain, don't we? Now, look, look I'm not more, any more spiritual than you. I, I, I pray for pleasure. But, but when pain happens, there's a purpose for it. And we get stronger from it. And isn't that what James 1, 2 through 4 is all about? Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Well, don't you know by the, the testing of your, your faith produces endurance? And let endurance have its perfect result that you may be complete and have everything that you need. And so, look, I'm not, I'm not a prophet here to predict what, what 2020 is going to be for you. For some, it's going to be experiences even multiply more blessing than you have now in terms of the way we normally pursue blessing or want blessing. But for some of you, it, it might be a much harder year. But it doesn't mean one is better than the other. It's just different. God's going to use both. 
And when we go through difficult times, it makes us stronger. And if we were in a small group, we'd go around and say, okay, does anybody want to share a story? You know, what have you learned from some things you've gone through in the past? Now, I've already used all my time, but in the rest of the chapter, let me at least read it, all right? Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. One of them was named Shifra, and the other was named Pua. Anybody want to name their children that? Okay. And, and he said, when, you were, when you're helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them. But let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing? And let the boys live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because Pharaoh, the Hebrew women are not as Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. I think they might have been smudging the truth here a little bit. But uh, anyway, they pop out so easily. The, the baby's there before we get there. So God was good to the midwives, and, and the people multiplied and became very mighty. Because the midwives feared God, he, he established households for them. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. Now, this is a story filled with illusions to our own day. I mean, we, we live in a world, basically, what was he telling those midwives? And they were representative of all the midwives. They were probably the head midwives, the head obstetricians of that day. And, and, and said, well, look, I, I'd like you to do some partial birth abortions here. If, once it got, starts going through the canal, if it's a boy, just don't let it come out. Just kill it. And when that didn't work, well, how about some infanticide? Why don't you kill him as an infant? And when they're there, just don't, don't let them live. And so what we see here is, 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 is the people, this is the people of God that they're encountering life. It goes from good to, this is not very easy, to, to harder, now to be deadly. And they had to, make a, they had to decide, didn't they? Who, who are we going to fear? Are we going to fear God? Or are we going to fear men? And, and, and we never, as God's people, should ever forget who, who we really need to fear in this world. We ought to fear what God thinks, not what man thinks. And that's pictured so powerfully as we think about even the challenge for us to share our faith with other people. Many times in America, when we share our faith in a loving, caring way, people people respond and they, they want to hear more. But there are going to be times when we share and, and, and we're going to get the backlash of being bold in our faith. And in Acts chapter 5, there's a story of that where they were telling him not to speak. And, and he said, look, we got to decide. Do we, do we please you or do we please God? Do we obey you or do we obey God? And, and so as we look at this story, as we begin it today, and it's, it's, the, it's God's story about his ways of working with people, how he works with us. And in that, we see who God is, and we're not looking at that today. It's God reveals himself, and God redeems others. But it's a challenge for us. It's a challenge just to, to respond to the good and the bad and the ugly. 
It's understanding that we should never forget the benefits, the God's and blessings God brings in our life because that, that's what sustains us. Isn't that true? No matter what's going on, don't ever forget God's blessings. But in the midst of that, you need to realize that it, to forget God's blessings, it, it really comes from forgetting who, who has blessed you and who rescued you when you were most desperate. Thirdly, we forget that, that God never said it was always going to be easy. There are going to be hard times. He wants us to understand that really, and this is, this is a whole developable point we'll see throughout the book, when it got tough for them, he was preparing them for what he wanted them to do and to be in the future. It wasn't going to be easy to get to the promised land. They, had, they took a detour for a while. It took a little bit longer. It took uh, how long? 40 years. And, and then after that 40 years, even when they got to the promised land, was it going to be easy to, to uh, possess, to take over the promised land? There were going to be enemies there. And, and all that they were going through was training ground for what God wanted them to do and to be next. And won't that change how, we're at, how we respond to life now as we recognize whatever we're going through now prepares us for what God wants us to do or be in our future? In the midst of all of this, as we evaluate our line, who, who, who do I really want to please? Who do I really want to respond to? Do I want to fear men or do I want to fear God? Do I want to please men or do I want to please God? This, this is the book of Exodus starting. And then we see it played out in detail as we learn more about us and we learn more about God. Let's pray together. Father, if I was to capsulize this message in just a phrase, is that God doesn't want us to forget. He doesn't want us to forget who he is and what he's doing and why he's doing it. He doesn't want us to forget that this is real, and this is where life is to be lived, in relationship with the living God in a broken world. And Father, I would pray for anyone here this morning in which their world is broken, Maybe not because of choices they have made, but choices made around them. Or, or, or maybe in areas where they, they wish you would intervene and change the circumstances that seem only fair and right and just, but for whatever reason, that's not happening right now. And, and you're just calling us to be people who trust you, no matter how, how much defeat we've had in the past or sorrow in the past, but, but you want us to live now, trusting you that that when we don't forget all the blessings, we're prepared for the challenges that we face. Help us to be a people in 2020. Help each one here to be a, a people that live for you because they're learning from you and leaning upon you. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen.